0: Season 1 of Written in Stone, the 1990s, is supported by Tension Climbing, wooden training tools designed with purpose in Denver, Colorado. Use the code STONE, that's S-T-O-N-E, to get 10% off of your next purchase at tensionclimbing.com and to let them know that their support for this show matters. Not valid for tension board sets, hardware, or gift cards. Cannot be combined with other offers. Tensionclimbing.com Mastery over success.
1: This is a story of how a Baggins had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. J.R.R. Tolkien from The Hobbit
0: You probably already know this story. A naturally athletic, driven kid grows into their agility, skill, speed, and strength to break new ground in a sport. Yeah, you've heard this one, right? Most superstar athletes, no matter the game, can trace their abilities to childhood. Sure, maybe there were bumps along the way. Michael Jordan infamously being cut from his freshman basketball team in high school, for example. But they were clearly gifted, physically, often mentally, and emotionally, too. These were kids with the chops to win and an innate desire to succeed. People from their past say, we always knew there was something special about them. I mean, you've probably said it. And of all climbing disciplines, you could argue that bouldering is the sportsiest of all. The goal is basically to find the hardest way to get up a given chunk of rock. And these days, young guns in every gym around the world are pushing the limits to incredible athletic heights. Pull up any Mellow video and see for yourself. Or just tune in to any bouldering World Cup. Climbers are jumping, pushing, pulling, twisting, flying through the air, and contorting into unbelievable positions. Both muscling and floating their way through movement most of us can't even dream of. And so it makes sense, of course, that the guy who opened the door to modern bouldering and paved the way for all this showy, fast-paced, athletic climbing would have that familiar backstory. A natural sports star. A megawatt smile. A love for the camera and attention. An ego that matches their finger strength and prowess. Probably a convertible sports car. An obvious leader of the pack. Right? wrong. Very wrong. In fact, I only need two words to illustrate exactly how wrong you are. Fred Nicole. I'm Chris Hampton. You're listening to Written in Stone, climbing's most important ascents. This is season one, the 1990s.
1: It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Frodo Baggins, quoting Bilbo Baggins from The Fellowship of the Ring.
0: I was never the sporty type, Fred shrugs. He self-describes as a creative, quiet kid, bookish even. You know that kid a few desks back, intently drawing instead of taking notes in class? The one who, when their name is called, looks up surprised, having forgotten that they were in class at all? That was Fred. Being creative is something important. At least it's important in my life, he once said. He draws. He paints. Even now, if you run into him at the crag, it's not unusual at all to see him not climbing but carefully, unhurriedly sketching the rock formations in front of him. Pen in hand, pad of paper balanced on a knee, wild tuft of Einstein-like hair blowing in the breeze. Perhaps then, it only makes sense that Fred's approach to rock climbing wasn't so much that of an athlete, but an artist. Born and raised in Switzerland, Frédéric and his brother Francois had the Alps in their backyard. Naturally, in 1983, older brother Francois introduced his then 13-year-old little brother to rock climbing, though at the time it was just a necessity for climbing in the mountains. Young Fred immediately recognized the importance of the natural world and this would stick with him, the environment becoming a cause that he would regularly champion. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. There were adventures to be had. So when teenage Fred went off to college, he was mostly looking for ways to continue training for those high-altitude adventures. And while John Gill and a few others had pioneered modern bouldering in the 1950s and 60s in the United States, and nearby Fontainebleau had seen Blussards climbing on its bubbly sandstone blocks for over a century— in Italy's Val Massino had adopted in the 1970s what they called Sassimo, ascending small boulders to promote creativity. Most of the world, including the young Nicole brothers, saw bouldering not as a pursuit in and of itself, but as a means to the end of climbing bigger mountain objectives. I started bouldering on a few old stone walls scattered in Estevalle-le-Lac, a medieval town where I went to school, Fred remembers, chuckling probably, most surely, forbidden at the time. Those old stone walls piqued enough curiosity and creativity for him, though, that he kept bouldering and buildering as opportunities cropped up. He must have thought, like any teenage boy, that he was pretty good at it. And he would have been right. And now, according to that familiar sports star narrative, if a budding star realizes they have potential, It only makes sense to start chasing down progress, maybe even competition. An athlete, at this point in the story, would head straight to the closest developing boulder field and thump their chest through the grades, pushing it on established test pieces and gravitating towards others doing the same. But like we said, Fred was not the typical athlete. He was an artist. He liked the newness and pioneering spirit of bouldering around on whatever he could find, and he often took that in a different direction than others at the time. The more popular blocks at the more popular areas weren't his thing, perhaps because they were popular.
1: All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Gandalf the Grey from The Fellowship of the Ring
0: I look in climbing for a certain freedom, I guess, Fred says, his voice slow and his accent and mannerisms, despite his Swiss upbringing, completely and utterly French. What I really like is this sort of space, this big space where everything is still possible and everything is to discover. I like this freedom. And when we say he took it in a new direction... We mean literally, at least for how most of us think of bouldering nowadays. In search of blank canvases on which to realize his own creations, Fred originally gravitated toward traverses, eliminates, and other such overlooked puzzles. While many climbers think only of going up, Fred went sideways. Partially out of originality, but also, to be fair, because of a bit of a fear of heights. There are no specific rules to define a beautiful problem, he scoffed. It's a subjective choice, in my opinion. All rocks are a gift from Mother Earth. Every boulder is so different and offers so many possibilities that it's impossible to define what makes it worth climbing and what doesn't. After a few years of semi-casual dabbling, Fred started to feel an itch. Maybe it was the athlete showing up. Because to be clear, by now, Fred suspected that he was pretty good at this bouldering thing. But no, that wasn't it. Still no sports star drive. No hunger for competition or to prove himself on a bigger stage. No need for recognition or validation. But then, In 1986, after stepping off the send of a difficult, unknown traverse in Euclipan, the first time he had ventured into the seventh grade, something shifted. He'd had a personal breakthrough. Now he knew he was ready. You know, I want to do my own thing, he might have thought. I might be ready for some tougher terrain. Something new. And with fresh eyes, Fred set out to create it.
1: Then something Tookish woke up inside him, and he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls and explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. J.R.R. Tolkien from The Hobbit
0: We'll be right back Alright, let's face it those climbers in the 90s 30 years ago had stronger fingers than most of us and that's because they spent a lot of time hanging on small wooden edges and you can too Tension Climbing has a full line of hangboards and finger strength tools designed with purpose to help you train for your goals. My personal favorites are the honestone and the whetstone for hanging and the block for lifting and warming up my fingers at the crag. The honestone and the whetstone cover everything you need in your home setup for people of different levels, one-arm or two-arm training, big edges, small edges, pockets, and slopers. And no matter what you're climbing on at the crag, the block will get you ready. If you go to tensionclimbing.com and use the code STONE at checkout, you'll get 10% off, and you'll also let them know how much you appreciate them supporting this podcast, climbing history, and this community. That's STONE, S-T-O-N-E, all lowercase, or all caps if you feel like shouting it out. Doesn't really matter how you do it, just do it.
1: Wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Gandalf the Grey, from The Fellowship of the Ring.
0: My climbing style? I don't know. I'm really slow, Fred said with a wry smile and a shrug. It's just the same way with my way of talking. I think it's just my way of being. That's it. That's my own rhythm. Even when I am jumping. Slow motion. I would like to be faster, but I cannot, so... He pauses, shrugs again, and is off of the thought already, clearly unbothered. No, he moves precisely as he means to. His mentor, Lucien Abbé, had shown him the first real boulders he would climb on including at Branson, a tiny bouldering area on a hillside in southern Switzerland. And Fred would return there again and again as he pushed his own limits. And now that he was ready to push everyone's limits, his mind again turned to Branson. What if the new next big thing is actually right in front of us, right here? He wondered, perusing boulders he'd probably hiked past hundreds of times. With curiosity, he started playing with new lines that hadn't formerly registered as possibilities. What if there's something here after all? He settled on a striking boulder with an obvious steep face that many before had written off. In 1989, he tried a few moves and then links, eventually establishing La Traction Celeste, first the V89 stand start and then a V11 or 8A sit-start. And it was difficult, near the top of the scale at the time, but not quite the project he was looking for. And for three years, he couldn't get another possibility, if anyone would have seriously called it that, on that same boulder, out of his mind. It was futuristic to the point of implausibility, Blocky yet smooth, all sloping curves and minute seams. Not the path an athlete with the goal to simply get to the top of a boulder would choose. But it did look new and wildly interesting. And it started as a traverse. No, Fred Nicole was right on time.
1: Go back to the shadow. You You cannot pass. The Balrog made no answer. The fire in it seemed to die, but the darkness grew. It stepped forward slowly onto the bridge and suddenly it drew itself up to a great height and its wings were spread from wall to wall. But still Gandalf could be seen glimmering in the gloom. He seemed small and altogether alone, gray and bent, like a wizened tree before the onset of a storm. J.R.R. Tolkien, from The Fellowship of the Ring.
0: Aesthetics over athletics, the boulderer began his exploration with characteristic openness, a willingness to really see the problem, to study it, to learn from it, you have to be creative to be able to interpret the rock and translate it to movement. Trying and finding solutions continues to fascinate and intrigue me. He took his time. He tried and failed. Tried something different and failed again. He sat under the boulder and rolled cigarettes between goes, studying the holds. Maybe even drew them. He talked beta with friends over strong cups of espresso at the cafe, dialing in the details, learning from the rock. The process, for an athlete, is often simply the due you pay to get the result you desire. The process, for an artist, is how the magic happens. Fred relished the process, and the results, with time, came. April, 1992. He stands under the boulder, His five-foot, 11-inch frame and shock of hair casting an imposing shadow. His cartoonishly oversized forearms pantomiming the long-memorized moves. Like a stout, wizened oak dancing with the wind. A deep, committing inhale. And he pulls on. He traverses from the start holds in perfect, unhurried movements. The effort is there, to be sure, a sort of relaxed tension, quick staccato breaths, forceful exhales on bigger moves. But still, he climbs with a mesmerizing nonchalance. When his feet cut, it seems to happen in slow motion, his body rotating into each and every position deliberately in absolute choreographed control. Fire-eyed, he fights for the difficult middle moves, but still somehow never really looks as though he might fall slow singular style he drops in a knee bar years before pads and controversy surrounding their use and moves past it vaguely aware that he's ahead of his time he pulls himself over the lip of the overhang to the easier exit and without a celebration as if this moment had been predetermined casually walks down la danse des Balrogs, the world's first 8B, or V13, the first boulder in the teens as the V-scale was only just being adopted. The tipping point of a domino effect, the opening of a new door. Not only for Fred, but for the sport of bouldering at large. Fred had danced with the demons and lived to tell the tale.
1: Still, round the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate. And though I oft have passed them by, a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths that run west of the moon, east of the sun. Bilbo Baggins, The Return of the King. And round the corner, through the secret gate,
0: to the new road, he went. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? I just wanted to drop in here to say thank you. Projects like this take way too many hours to make and it just doesn't happen without your support. So whether it's training plans, courses, or products, it's your support of Power Company Climbing as well as our sponsors here on this show that has given me the time and motivation to conceptualize and create things like this podcast. So as a thank you, we're offering 20% off of almost everything on our site. Finger files, clippers, apparel, proven plans, ebooks, courses, and more. For details, go to Power powercompanyclimbing.com slash stone and then use the code stone that's S-T-O-N-E at checkout powercompanyclimbing.com
1: learn grow excel Juan does not simply walk into Mordor its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs there is evil there that does not sleep The great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire, ash, and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with ten thousand men could you do this. It is folly. Boromir, from the Fellowship of the Ring.
0: Try to respect and see boulders as an art, and not only as a platform on which you want to perform, Fred once declared, even after experiencing the high of sending LaDance. You should feel a desire to climb a line, not only wanting to do it because of the grade or name. Fred still couldn't bring himself to, had no desire to, walk that familiar sports star storyline. He knew there was more to be done. For on that same bronçon overhang that had captured his imagination and served him one canvas after another on which to choreograph his dances, there was another, waiting. He'd seen it, pondered it. He'd touched the holds, sure he was peering into the future. In fact, La Danse had climbed right across the middle of it, traversing where this line had beckoned for him to go instead, up. For nearly four years, he followed the path through the door he'd opened with La questing for more and more hard boulders that drew him in, same as he drew them. He returned to one of the places he had learned to climb, Saint-Louis, and with Francois, himself a top-level climber, began free-climbing the old bolt ladders established by aid climbers of the past. It was here that he eventually established Bain des Sang, the third 9A or 14D in the world, behind only Action Direct by Wolfgang Gulitsch and Ohm by Alexander Huber. He explored forgotten boulders that others had decided impossible, but also knew parts of his own motivation until he deemed himself ready to return to Song. once more stood staring at the boulder, contemplating the fact that the roads had led him here to be tested yet again. Or was it the other way around? Was he the one doing the testing? After all, what is art if it isn't interrogating the impossible and celebrating the imagination? For three days, he worked out the complex movements on holds that were just enough. The shadows once again enveloped him as he sat directly beneath the intense shoulder move in the middle of the traverse of La dance. He knew the nuances of each hold, each move, each emotion that needed to be accessed in order to arrive on top. He'd pass old friends along the way, holds he'd used while opening a different door years before. He'd meet new challenges, ones that only a few years earlier had been completely shrouded in darkness. And he would, once again, slowly and deliberately climb to the throne. Raja, the world's first V-14.
1: For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him, that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light. And high beauty forever beyond its reach. J.R.R. Tolkien, The Return of the King. One, two.
0: Written in Stone is produced by me, Chris Hampton, with help from Riley Rush and Emily Holland for Plug Tone Audio, a group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry the link in your show notes, you'll find all the things you expect, and probably some you don't. And look, this show is 100% rooted in the facts, but like Todd Skinner always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. If you love what you're hearing, give us those five stars and a glowing review and tell everyone, you know, at the crag, at the gym, follow the pod on your friends' phones and share it all over your social medias. And together we can tell the stories of climbing's most important ascents one decade at a time.
1: Don't adventures ever have an end? I suppose not. Someone else always has to carry on the story. Bilbo Baggins, The Fellowship of the Ring. Stoners, what is up?
0: This thing seems like it's been out forever, but I just looked back and it's only been like six weeks or something, seven weeks. And we're only on our fourth story. That means we're not even halfway through the season yet, which honestly is wild to me because I feel like we've put out so many episodes already. The problem here is that I can't help myself. In fact, I can't help myself so much that we were going to take a week off for Christmas, uh, because the 25th falls on a Monday, which is when these episodes come out, and I was writing just a little, hey, Merry Christmas, everybody, quick two-minute episode, and then I had an idea. So now, I have a Christmas gift coming for all of you. Which is also going to include a full episode. Not a story episode, though. It will be an episode. It will be an interview episode with somebody integral to our experience as climbers in the 1990s. Um, I'm really excited about this. He's a friend of mine. And we've talked several times about doing something together. We've worked together on other projects, but, but I'm excited to have him here on Written in Stone. And I think you'll enjoy the, the Christmas gift I have planned for you that goes along with that episode. Anyway, I could ramble about this all day. I'll do that once he's here on the show. Next week, we've got three interviews about... Fred Nicole. Um, I think we could do a whole season of interviews about Fred Nicole. He's certainly the most influential Boulder of all time, right? I I don't think, I don't think there's a way to debate that really. Um, Just absolutely incredible what he did and the way he conducts himself and his demeanor around all of it. Uh, I reached out to Fred and I got some, some details for this episode. I actually changed some things kind of last minute uh, based on details that he gave me. And I felt like this episode, we had to do a little differently. Um, so I think the mood is a little different and I like it. And it, it's not as rah, rah, you know, like, like a lot of the, the ego uh, and the testosterone of the 90s Was Um, I think Riley did a really beautiful job writing this episode. And then I came in and just wanted to call back to the the Lord of the Rings reference with the title or with the name of LaDance. And so I started looking for Lord of the Rings quotes that fit the story. And magically, they all just sort of fit in perfectly. So I had some fun editing that. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it was a little bit different a little bit in left field. Um, But you know what? I'm going to do those things sometimes because I have to. Uh, That's what I'm psyched to do. All right. Next week, you guys are going to hear from me a lot. So I'm jumping off of here right now and I will see you all then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye.